Amen. I want to invite you to take a moment, share a word of peace, a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today. Morning, peace to you. Morning, peace to you. Paul, how are you? Doing better. Good, good. Morning, Debbie, how are you? Morning, nice to see you. It's great to see you as we gather for worship on this beautiful Sunday morning. 
There are a few things I want to highlight in the life of the church, uh, things in your bulletin. Uh, we, uh, we still have opportunities for you if you're interested in working with children uh, on Wednesday night or with uh, youth on Wednesday night or Sunday morning. Uh, these are opportunities to invest yourself in our, our young, uh, young ones and an opportunity to share the gospel and teach them. So we'd love to have you be a part of that. If you're interested, there are some sign-up forms on the back table in the foyer. Or you can uh, email the, the office, any one of the pastors, or info at hwchurch.org, and we will get you connected to the right people. If you just have some questions about what involvement would mean, we're happy, we'd be happy to help you with that and to uh, explain things to you. There's also, this is also the last day to sign up to work in the nursery. If you're interested in doing that, the schedule will be made tomorrow morning. There are sheets also in the back for that, and you can drop those in the box, and uh, we will make sure you get on the schedule this coming year. There are uh, also um, the Ladies' Fall Gathering is uh, the 29th, and you can sign up for that. Uh, tonight, small groups begin meeting. The uh, Cornelia meets at 7 in Wesley Chapel. Next Sunday morning, we gather again for worship at 8, 20, 9, 40, and 11, and we'll be looking at uh, Tamar as we keep thinking about people who are uh, in our spiritual tree, our spiritual family. And uh, the question asking with her is, what do we do when we feel desperate? And um, Wednesday evening of this week uh, is the registration for children's ministries. You see information about that. There are uh, many prayer concerns in the bulletin, some of them connected to us. Some of them uh, worldwide, and this has been a week of great tragedy and pain in many places of the world, particularly in the Middle East. And we want to ask for God's grace and peace, and uh, certainly we want to be in prayer about those situations. We are always excited to have the opportunity to dedicate our children to God, and this morning we have such an opportunity. Peter and Jessica, you have brought this child whom God has given you to be dedicated to God and to his service. By this act, you signify your faith in Jesus Christ and also your desire that she receive the benefits of dedication to God and the prayers of the church and may early learn to know and follow the will of God. Thus doing, may live and die a Christian, attaining in the end of this earthly life to everlasting life in the kingdom of God. But in order that this may be accomplished, it will be your duty as parents to teach her early the fear of the Lord, to watch over her education that she may not be led astray by false teachings or doctrines, to direct her mind to the Holy Scriptures as expressing the will and authority of God for all humanity, and to direct her feet to the sanctuary, to restrain her from evil associates and habits, and as much as possible to bring her up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Will you endeavor to do so with the help of the Lord? In Mark's gospel, the 10th chapter, we read these words. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. And he said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, put his hands on them, and blessed them. name have you given your child? Caitlin Janae. 
Caitlin Janae Romance, on behalf of your parents, your family, and this congregation, I dedicate you to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. As we've said many times in dedicating our children to God, that this is, this is a threefold covenant. God is sort of the base of the triangle that surrounds Kate and our little ones. And we know God is faithful. We know God is good and loving and is already at work in her life. And Peter and Jessica have, have made their commitment and their family is committed with them to doing everything in their power to help her know God and to follow God. But we also have responsibility. We also have responsibility in teaching her and loving her and caring for her and being a witness to her. And so I want to invite you to stand and to affirm your commitment to Kate and to her family. As the Church of Jesus Christ, will you, with the help of God, do everything possible to help Kate grow in the nurture and grace of Jesus Christ? Will you love her? Will you be a godly witness to her? And will you help her to know and accept the grace of God in her life? If so, answer, we will. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the gift of children. It is an amazing blessing that you pour into our lives. And this morning, we thank you for Kate. Thank you for bringing her into this world, for blessing her family with her presence. And we pray that she will always know how much she is loved. Help her to know your love for her. And help her as she grows to respond to you in love. Keep her close to you. Keep her safe in you. And pour out your abundant blessing upon her every moment of every day. We pray for Peter and Jessica. And ask that you would help them as parents in this most pivotal role in Kate's life. Give them grace that they need. Give them patience and compassion and And help them in every decision they make, in every response, in every leading. May they so model you that the most natural thing in the world is for Kate to follow you. And help us as a church. Give us grace to, to care for her and to love her and to be a witness to her in every way that we possibly can. Father, we dedicate this little one to you. We thank you for your loving kindness already at work in her life. May she follow you all of her days. And we ask this through Christ Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Please join me in the prayer of confession. It's printed on the screen. Let's pray together. Almighty and merciful God, we know that when we offend another, we offend you. We are aware that we have often allowed the shadow of hate to cloud our souls, hiding the light from our unseeking eyes. We have said unpleasant and hurtful things to our brothers and sisters when they fail to live up to our expectations. Grant that we might find that spark of love that ever burns within us, the love that you have shown to us even when we failed you. Fan the embers of that love until it roars again in flames of grace, peace, and reconciliation. 
Forgive us our sins and help us to forgive those who have sinned against us. Lead us into new life through your Son, Jesus Christ, who died for the sins of all. Amen. Pete and Jess, I just wanted to be very clear that that business about keeping her away from corrupt influences does not apply to grandfathers. (laughs) That is not part of that deal. All righty. Folks, please join me with the Old Testament scripture reading this morning. There will be some selected passages from Genesis 2 and 3. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man... You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die. The serpent said to the woman, For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God. Among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The servant deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. And he will crush your head. And you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. 
With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you are taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve, because she would become the mother of all the living. This is the word of the Lord. This time we'd like to ask the ushers to come and assist us in the giving of our tithes and offerings. Please stand as we sing the doxology. Most gracious God, how could we ever begin to give back for all of the ways in which you have blessed us? This morning, we give to you out of the joy of our hearts and out of the thanksgiving in our souls for who you are and for all that you have done and for all that you have promised to do. Accept our gifts. And we ask this through Christ. Amen. Please be seated.
One of the joys of coming together in worship is the opportunity to pray together. And God calls us to pour out before him the burdens and the concerns and to express our joys and gratitude for all that he has done. We have the opportunity to do that now. And as we pray together, if, if you would like to use the altar as your place of prayer, please join me. Lord, we come today to acknowledge that you are the almighty God, the creator of all that exists. You're the sustainer of everything. And you are at work in this world doing miraculous things that we could not begin to dream or imagine. All things are are in your hands. And we are here today because of your blessings, because of your mercy poured out upon us. Because you love us. We come today in gratitude and thanksgiving. Father, as we gather today, we have to admit the truth about ourselves, even as we have admitted the truth about you. The reality is that so often we are people who fall short of your designs for us. We fight about petty things. We grasp for stuff that in no time breaks and wilts and erodes and fades away. Sometimes we get crazy in our relationships with each other. We're controlled by habits that we know are wrong. We keep doing things that destroy us. We want people to think that we're wholly devoted to Christ, but too often we bear little resemblance to Christ. And even when we come to you and repent, we find it so difficult not to keep falling back into the old patterns again. And yet we come today, despite all of that, we come to your grace And we declare with your servant David, Lord, forgive us. And we thank you for forgiving us. Father, we pray for those among us who are struggling with pain, grief, loss. With relationships that are not where they wish they would be. With fears and anxieties about the future. All the things that come at us in this life. And we pray for healing and mercy and peace. We pray for this world that you love, that you've created. And we think especially of places in the Middle East that this week have seen outbreaks of violence. And we are reminded again of the difficulties between Christians and Muslims. And Lord, we pray that you will bring peace to our world. We pray, Father, that in the midst of all of this, you will... Help us to love rather than to hate. Help us to be sensitive to the struggles of your children instead of focusing on offenses that we might incur. Help us to care more 
about expressing the truth in love than about wielding power. Father, make us and your children throughout the world lights in the midst of such great need. Father, we thank you for a good days, a good few days in Clue Week. Thank you for the lives that were touched and changed. And we pray that what was started will continue in the days ahead. Pour out your spirit on us in this place. Thank you, Father, for hearing our prayers. Thank you for your love and mercy in each of our lives. Thank you for your desire to transform us. We offer our prayers in the strong and powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The one who teaches us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
In a last-minute emendation, the New Testament reading will not be the Luke passage, but instead will be from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Please join with me as we read the New Testament scripture. Imitating Christ's humility. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion... Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord.
Please be seated. How many have ever done any research on your family? Okay, this is, I would say we have the most people in this congregation than uh, this group than the others this morning. It's fascinating to, to look at where our family has been, where we've come from. Uh, it, there are, it's becoming more and more popular all the time. I saw this week that there are uh, at least 2 million subscribers to Ancestry.com. And the people who use that website to find out more and more about their family and their background. A few years ago, actually this past year even, NBC had a television show, Who Do You Think You Are? And um, it, it, was a, it was a show about ta- famous people and that they uncovered something about their family they didn't know. I think one of the most interesting episodes was about the actress Helen Hunt, who they told her that her great-great-grandmother, who lived in the state of Maine, was the leader of that state's Women's Christian Temperance Union movement, which was a real shock to her because she said when she first heard the word temperance, she sort of recoiled at that. But then as she began to read her great-grandmother's writings, it became clear that the reason her great-great-grandmother was involved in this was because the damage that alcohol was doing in the town and the families and the predominantly toward women and children. And some, she said something in her stirred that things that were important, are important to her, she realized were important to her great-great-grandmother. And there is something about that as, as we think about our past. I think one of my great regrets in life is not knowing more about my, my family and not spending more time talking to my grandparents. I, I had the privilege of knowing my great-grandparents. I was 16 when my great-grandfather died and 24 when my great-grandmother died. And I regret the fact that I didn't spend more time with them, asking them about their childhood and their parents and their grandparents and learning more about it because there is something about understanding our roots that helps us to understand a little bit more about who we are. And over the course of the next two and a half months... We're going to be thinking about not so much our physical roots as our spiritual roots. And we're going to take some time each week to to look at people in the biblical story that are a part of our family. And some of them, like our physical families, we cheer and we're excited. We put them up on a billboard. We're related to them. Others, maybe not so much. But they're all a part of the family. And what's intriguing to me is we, uh, I think as we look at these people, we're going to find that we look an awful lot like them. And God has something to say about, the, about our lives through them. Now, if you're going to start with, with the roots, obviously you have to begin with Adam and Eve. You know, it all starts with them and it's with them that it all kind of goes awry. You know, we read the story this morning and abbreviated form of God creating them, putting them in the garden, this perfect place. And then they make, they make choices to reject God and there are consequences from that. I, I remember, you know, well, out of those consequences are, you know, problems with their family. One of their sons kills another son. There's chaos that, that enters the world. As you read the, the historical narrative, you see it just evolving. And we are suffering 
still the pain of those choices. I remember when, I don't know, six, seven years old, we were on vacation and my grandparents in Michigan and my dad got really sick and went to the hospital and discovered they had acute appendicitis. And, and he, so he had to have surgery. And, you know, in those days, they didn't let children into the hospital very much. And so, but they let us in to see him just for a few moments before he went to surgery. And I, I can still remember, it's one of those things you, why did I remember that? But I remember he, he's lying there in bed, he's groaning in agony at this great pain for the appendicitis. And he says, oh, Eve, why did you eat that apple? <laughs> well, the truth of the matter is we don't know what fruit Adam and Eve ate. There is some, you know, there's some speculation that perhaps the reason the apple is connected to that is, is the Latin word for evil, malice, and the Latin word for apple, malum, sound similar. And so they, they've connected it. But the, the reality is, whether there are apples there and that's what they ate or not, this is what we have now connected with those events in the Garden of Eden. And that's why I placed this apple here. And, and Ted Murphy has contributed this painting of an apple on the wall. And it's the first of others that we will be displaying this throughout these weeks that remind us of our history and the things that are part of it. But when Adam and Eve rejected God, went their own way, they became imperfect people. And they created an imperfect family. And all of us have been living in imperfect families ever since. Every one of us. Because of of their sin, their view of God is skewed. No longer do they, do they look forward to seeing God and walking with Him in the cool of the day. Now when God comes to them, they're frightened of God. They run and they hide. Because God is no longer someone to be trusted, but someone to fear what He might do. And the guilt of their sin is weighing in upon them and skews their relationship with God. But it also skews their relationship with each other. It makes for an imperfect, problem-filled family. At the end of chapter 2, it says that Adam and Eve, it's before the fall, they are naked and unashamed. One translation says they're naked and they don't shame each other. There's no, there are no barriers. There's, there, there are no, there's no suspicion, no trust issues. There's no self-centeredness. There's no manipulation. They just love each other. They have mutual respect for each other. They have a kind of pure relationship that God intends But after they sin, things are different. Now they feel shame and they feel guilt. They don't look at each other the same way. And you see that working itself out in the consequences of their sin. Things that were were to be great reasons for great joy for both of them now are connected to great pain and struggle. Bearing children, producing fruit from the ground. But even more, their relationship with each other is skewed and twisted. God says to Eve, you will have a yearning for your husband. In other words, you, your, all of your resources will be toward trying to get your husband to love you. And to be in relationship with you and to care for you. And how will, your hus- how will the husband respond with power? 
with dominion ruling over you. And both sides of that issue are about control. Control, trying to get control so that I'm loved. Trying to get control so that I'm in charge. Trying to get what they want by seeing who can control the other one the most. And we've been wrestling with those issues of control ever since. We see them in our families all the time. I, I need to get what I want. We don't think about giving, we think about taking. About getting our way, making sure things happen the way we want them to happen. Keeping our hands and our control on everything that takes place so that we get what we want. But that's what imperfect families do. And the outcome of this scenario is pain, pain, pain. But it intrigues me that in the midst of all this pain and, 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 and struggle and problems, God gives hope. Verse 15 of chapter 3 talks about the serpent striking the heel of the, of the, of the child, the seed, and that child striking it back. And most people see that little bit of, of, of phrase as a precursor to the coming of Christ. The first word about what God's going to do for his people who are filled with pain and imperfection and difficulty and struggle. And when Jesus comes onto the scene, what do we see? We see him as the great healer. He heals physical problems and he heals emotional problems and he heals spiritual problems and he heals families and people. When he's in the synagogue, the first time he speaks in the synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth, he pulls out the scroll of all the things he could read. He reads from Isaiah and says, this describes him, says that he has come to set captives free, to release the prisoners, to declare the year of the Lord's favor, to heal and restore what is broken and twisted and torn. And that's that's why he comes. He comes not just to heal us as individuals, but to heal us as family and to heal us as the church family. And how does he heal us? For one thing, I think he, he calls us to let go of our unrealistic expectations about family. We have something in the back of our mind that believes family, if we just worked hard enough, could be perfect. Something, something back in there says, if we could just get this under control, it could be what we dreamed for it to be. It would be perfect. It would be right. It, we, we would eliminate the pain. But it's unrealistic. Because we're talking about dealing with people who are imperfect. And imperfect people create imperfect families. And there are no perfect people. Every family deals in some level with dysfunction. Now granted, there are levels of that. There are heightened levels of dysfunction where the pain is, is extreme. And it's deep and it's acute. But every family wrestles with pain. We hurt each other. Every family does. Even the families that we look at and say, wow, they're awesome. 
The family we might have dreamed that we wish we had been a part of instead of the one we were. Every family struggles with it. I was raised in a family where we were Christians, deeply devoted Christians. Even to this day, I cannot think of any of my relatives that are not Christian. And I am the 11th pastor in my family, just if you start with my grandparents. You know, I have to tell people that the only time we ever fought was when we got together for a family reunion over who was going to say grace over the meal. <laughs> but that's not true. Because we fight all the time. And we hurt each other. And we disappoint each other. And we frustrate each other. And we wish things were different. Because we all are imperfect people. And we will never be free from the pain and the hurt and, and, and get to the, find healing in Christ until we begin to let go of those unrealistic expectations that family could be perfect. Your family's not perfect. My family's not perfect. That family that you think is awesome is not perfect. Because there's no such thing. See, we live in our expectations. When are you disappointed? When something you expect to happen doesn't. And you add into that expectations that are unrealistic, that could never happen. And, and, and you raise the level of frustration that much more. And how do, what do we do in those moments? Well, often we get angry, we, we, get, you know, we get burdened, we, and we also try to think if we could just push a little harder, if we could just control things a little bit more, then we could make our family what we want it to be. And the reality is that sense of perfectionism doesn't help families, it destroys them. Because we've just raised the level of unrealistic expectation from what it was. We can't let go of pain and we can't let go of agony because something in us says, if things were just different, if my family had been better, if this had happened, if that had happened, if only, if only, if only. And we hold on to that and we block ourselves off from the healing that Christ wants to do in us. It's only when we let go of those expectations and we admit every family has trouble and and often life isn't fair And you didn't choose to be born into the family you were born into, but that's what it is. And you let go of those things and God begins to work in us. And it's not just about our our human family. It's about the church too. There's no perfect church. There's something in us that wants to believe that when we all come together for church, that we all ought to be perfect. We ought not to hurt each other. That we we would never say things that disappoint, disappoint each other. But we're talking about putting together a group of imperfect people. And we're going to create an imperfect group of people. It's helped me a lot to come to the realization that the best way, one of the best ways to contextualize the church is to see the church not as a country club, but as a hospital. It's not about everything getting perfect. It's not about everything being just right and everyone dressing just right and looking just right. It's a hospital. And hospitals are for sick people. Have you ever heard a doctor say, I wish these sick people would stop coming to see me? That's why they're there. That's why the church is here. 
And this is not an excuse to say, well, we can do whatever we want to because we're imperfect, so what difference does it make? No, no, not at all. It's just releasing the first layer of place where God needs to heal us and letting go of those expectations so that God can heal us and so that we can become different people and so that we can be more and more as we were created to be. And that's the second thing, that I, the way in which God heals us through Christ, is that he calls us to embrace and to mirror the strategy that Christ uses to heal us. When Christ comes to, and, and brings salvation to the world and healing to the world, how does he do that? By a show of force? Does he gather an army? Does he, does he arm his disciples? Does he start getting into the faces of everyone and yelling and screaming and demanding? No, he, he goes to the cross. He gives of himself. And Paul says in Philippians... Have this mind that was in Christ Jesus. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Became a servant, taking the nature of humanity and humbled himself to death, even death on a cross. And Paul says, that's how we live. That's what we do. The answer to all the pain we experience is not to try to control more. It's to let go. It's not to get our own way. It's to give of ourselves. And so we're going to be people who are concerned and who, who desire to live in patience. And in gentleness and compassion and self-sacrifice. People who model Christ. You know, we live in a world where everything is becoming so acrimonious with people who disagree with each other. We see this accelerating as we move toward the election in November. And when I hear Christians getting into the mix in, in, in ways that, that, are, that look just like the rest of the world, it, it concerns me. And I know why we do that, because it's the most natural thing to do. When, when people are against us, we fight back. But Christ is calling us to respond differently. Instead of fighting back, we love. He didn't say, they'll know you're my disciples if you win. He said, they'll know you're my disciples if you love. And I find that too often in families, in the church, in society, we are far more interested in winning than in loving. And then we wonder, how come nothing ever gets better? But I think there's also a calling from Christ to commit ourselves to his plan, his plan for family. You know, that it's interesting that, that the, the whole idea of family isn't something that God institutes after the fall. It is a part of the creation process. 
He creates Adam and he says it's not good for him to be alone. He needs someone else with him. And so he creates Eve and they form the first family. But it's also interesting that once the fall takes place, God doesn't then disband the idea of family. He doesn't say, well, they're going to be imperfect, so we better let that go. No, he says, okay, we're going to take this problem, this this imperfection in the family, and I'm going to use this in a way that challenges people to trust me more. Our natural response when we're, when we're up against people who disagree with us, up against people that we find hard to live with, our natural response is to run or to fight. We want to get out of it. You know, we, we, we want to say, well, that's too hard. That's too much stress. That's too much difficulty. That's asking too much of me. And so we run. And yes, there are sometimes in our families, in, in, in the homes where we live, there's sometimes where the pain and the, and the difficulty is so great that it's dangerous. And we need to get out. That's the right thing to do. Or it's, it's so unhealthy that getting out is the right thing to do. And God makes provisions for that in the scriptures. But most of the time, it's not about danger and it's not about unhealthiness. It's just about... I'm uncomfortable with what I'm, what's being asked of me. I don't want to give of myself. I want to take. This isn't turning out the way I thought it would, and, and I'm out of here. And we do that in the churches, too. And granted, there are times in, in church where, again, it's unhealthy or it's dangerous spiritually, and we need to do something else. It's just not working. But it's not a matter of I didn't get my own way. Because, see, we're all family. We're connected to each other. And some of you are here today and your family is not around you here. Some of you are students and you're, you're here just for a limited amount of time. And our, our desire and our passion is that while you're here, you would become a part of this church family. That you'd feel a part of this place. And that even with all of our warts and imperfections, you'd find connectedness here. Because we're all family. And that means we accept each other. You know, it's like, it's like that great uncle that, you know, has been collecting bobbleheads for 40 years and they're everywhere in his house. And you walk in and you just signs flashing, eccentric. Hey, he's family. You, you, you just have to accept it. Or the aunt that has 37 cats and they run the place. You know, hey, it, you know, it's family. And family sticks in with each other. Family's committed to each other, to the ups and the downs. And the hard part about family is that it means being vulnerable. We're really committing ourselves to one another. We're vulnerable with each other. And when we're vulnerable, we're at the greatest risk to be hurt. But we're also at the greatest risk to experience joy and blessing. God is calling us to be people who are willing to be vulnerable with each other and to love each other and to care for each other and to commit to each other in our homes and in the church. And yes, vulnerability does often lead to pain. But it also leads to great joy and blessing. And God doesn't disband family because we're imperfect. Because he knows that in the moments when we're pushed and challenged and stretched and uncomfortable, that we have the choice to trust him 
and grow deeper or run and continue a life that's shallow. And he's wanting us to experience the depth of what he created us to be in our homes and in this place. And it brings us to this table. That this table, in many ways, is, is family coming together and eating what the Father's prepared. Food for our souls, for the blood and the, and the body of Christ that unites us in Him. We probably will never be united in anything else, but we are united in Christ. In his grace in our lives. In his mercy poured out upon us. In his death and resurrection. And the promise of his return. And at this table, we are welcomed to receive his gifts. In just a moment, we're going to, we're going to take communion together. And you're going to be released by Rose to come to the front. And we're going to... Practice the mode of intinction where you tear off a piece of bread and dip it into the cup and eat it. And the reason we're doing serving communion this way is so that we can watch each other come and take. So that we can be, we can see each other, and so that we can remember that we're all connected to each other. We're all in this together. We're all family. And that God has created us different. And we may have different theological views about things. And we may have different political views about things. And we may dress differently. We may like different kinds of music. But we're united in Christ. In Christ, we're family. And we're invited to come. And to eat the meal that our loving, gracious Father has prepared for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your many gifts. We thank you for the gift of family. Family in our homes and and the family that is the church. And we pray, Father, that, that you will help us to trust you more in our families. And to give of ourselves. And to let you work in ways that are beyond our imagination. Father, we thank you for this bread and this cup. Thank you for your gifts. Pour out your abundant blessing on these elements. That they would indeed be food for our souls. And that they would minister to us. And lead us to a greater sense of our our uniting in Christ. Thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for loving us and caring for us and bringing us together in Christ. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and He gave thanks to the Father in heaven and then he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And on the same night he took the cup. 
Again, he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and gave it to his disciples, saying, Drink from this, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. As you're released by rose this morning, and come tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the cup, eat it. And you can return to your seat by the outside aisle. And the altar is always open if you'd like to stay and pray. And this morning as we come together, this may be the first time you've worshipped here. But if you come today with a desire in your heart to be a part of Christ's family. And to live in fellowship with each other as family. And come and receive these gifts of our gracious, loving, Heavenly Father.
stand together and sing to hymn number 270. Receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace.
Amen.